Welcome to the River City Church podcast and a message by our lead pastor, Jason Powers. Our prayer is that this message would inspire and encourage you, build your faith, and point you to the life-changing love of Jesus. May you enjoy the goodness of God as you follow him today. Good morning. Welcome. I'm glad that you are here with us this morning, uh, and we begin, as we do every week, um, with our confession. And our confession is as the body of Christ, uh, it brings us to the cross and it grounds us there and it roots us there and it is from there that we grow. And our confession is we are badly broken. Grace and peace to you. Uh, yeah, I love coming up and saying that. It's just a reminder. We begin with worship, musical worship. Do you know why we begin with musical worship? Um, it's happened a lot. We've done it. It's kind of a traditional thing in the church. We've done it forever, but Music is sticky. You know what I mean? Sticky, right? Um, I don't remember a lot of things, um, but uh, there's a Clint Black song, right? Ain't it funny how a melody can bring back a memory, right? And you remember, and suddenly a song comes on, and I remember a song from my childhood. And I don't just remember it. Like, when I listen to it, I am there, right? It is like, it is fourth grade all over again, or, or, or whatever, wherever it is. Because that's what music does. And I, I truly think that music is... Well, it's, it's, there are components to it, right? And so we sing, you know, find me grateful, find me thankful, find me on my knees. And I am, um, I am kind of a head guy, right? And so I hear those words and I process those, those words. And I'm like, oh, gratitude, okay, I'm thankful and on my knees. And it's a posture and it's a position of worship and it's good that. And so I can sing that song. I can say those words and it's, and there's something to it. it it's a significant thing, right? It's kind of like engaging my intellect. Oh, yes. Okay, yes, I need to be thankful, and I need to be grateful, and I can pray, and I can do that. But when you put music to it, something happens. Music moves us. Music is, it's, it's in the soul, right? Like you hear music, and it touches us at a deeper level. And so when we have music, and we have words, and we have lyrics, and we have this song together, it is this whole thing is this holistic person. And again, we acknowledge and we recognize there are some people who don't like the music, right? Like they don't like that. They just like, yeah, let's just power through. Maybe they show up later. They linger and get coffee, right? Nobody in here does that. I'm sure. But in the other services, right? They linger until the song service over and then they come in and they're like, let's just get down to it right here. I get it. I understand that's, that's fine. But I really believe there's something valuable about a music worship service. Cause there's people on the other side too. They're just like that guy, blah, blah, blah all the time. Let's worship. Let's do it. I get it. You're both not wrong, but something powerful happens when it comes together. Music moves us. Songs move us. It's a significant thing. And so as we begin our study in the book of Psalms, that's an important idea to keep in mind. The Psalms are literally the songbook of a people. It is the prayers, it is the song. All of the psalms were at one time set to music. They have all these musical kind of notations that they go, they can tell a little bit about it. But the psalms are the prayer book, the hymn book of the Hebrew people. The Israelites, as they wandered in the wilderness, as they wrestled and as they contended with what does it mean to be a people of God, right? And we know the people had the temple, right? In the wilderness, as they wandered in the wilderness, outside of Egypt, they had the tabernacle, the place where the body of God dwelt, where God was there, and they were gathered around him, and th this was the whole idea. And so as they wrestled with what does it mean to be a people of God, and it's great because there are some psalms that we read, and we, they read them, and we just go, 
man, how great you are. God, you have done all these things for us. God, you have overcome our enemies. And God, you have all of these wonderful things. And we read the Psalms like that and we go, yes, that's what I would expect. But you read other Psalms where you just go, oh God, where are you? God, have you abandoned us? Have you abandoned me? God, we have enemies, and I thought you were going to take care of them. See, the language of the Psalms is the language of the human experience, the language of the human spirit. The Psalms are not neat and tidy. You read the book of Romans, and you have just this laser-precise theology of salvation. And you have in the Psalms, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You have in the narrative of Jesus, in the Gospels, you have this biography of the man, and you have this chronological, this timed or this thematic presentation of a life. And you have in the Psalms, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. The Psalms are raw. The Psalms are emotional. There's a lot of symbol in the Psalms. There's lots of kind of declarations. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. What does that mean? What does it look like? Psalms are written in the language of emotion. They're, like I said, from time to time, uncomfortable. They confront us with things. Whereas you read First five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and it's like history. First this happened, and then this happened, and then God said, and then Moses did, and he went, and there was Egyptians, and there's Pharaoh. And you read it, you go, yes, 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 it's a nice, tight, night, you know, tidy, turn the page, you get, and then you get to the Psalms, and it moves us, and it challenges us, which is good for us, because there are moments where we, first thing we have to realize and recognize and contend with is this fact that we are, in the same way that the people of Israel contended with what it meant to be a people of God, a people with God in their presence, we too as believers, as Christians, as followers of Christ, or as people who are seeking this, this is our experience. What does it mean to say we are the body of Christ? And especially when we have those moments when we go, God, where are you? And sometimes maybe you have said, God, where are you? And then you go, can I even say that? Is it okay? And you wonder, the Psalms are good news for you as you wrestle with life that is messy and untidy, and doesn't fit into nice, neat theological boxes. And they're poems. There's a poesy to them. There is a rhythm to them. The Psalms are music for the road of life's journey. Now listen, there's 150 Psalms. It's an exhaustive book. There's a lot to it. And so we're certainly not going to cover all them. We're going to kind of touch some high points and we're going to kind of move our way through them. But here's my invitation and here's my challenge to you. As we talked the last several weeks, we talked about identity, right? Like who are you in Christ? And we saw you're a new creation and you're you know, created to do good works and you are the beloved. And those are nice, neat ideas that you can take and kind of chew on and listen, whatever. What I don't want you to do is to do that with the Psalms, because see, the Psalms are music to be entered into, to let them enter in. To be, it's like, you know, a sad song. Why is it that when we're sad, we listen to sad songs, right? Why, why do we do that? What is wrong with us? I want to say, because there's something about the sad songs that allows us to express. The Psalms are like that. They give language for prayers, prayers that we don't know how 
to pray. Praise that prayers that we don't even know we're allowed to pray. So as we go for the next couple of weeks, I really would invite you to bring the Psalms out of the theological box, to pray them, turn them into prayers. I would invite you and encourage you and challenge you to feel them. And you got to know, I'm not a, I'm not a feeler. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just not. Like, I, I, I don't get it. But I know there are things that when I can enter into these the Psalms that can move me and can challenge me. Because the Psalms are unique in canon. Everywhere else in the canon, everything else in Scripture that we look at is, it's, listen, the story of the Bible, the Bible is not our story, okay? The Bible is not about me. It's about God. Now, people, humanity has a part and a role and a play in that, but right in the center of our Bibles, right there in the center of our scriptures, between the history books and then the prophecies, right? And then the biographies and then the epistles. And then there's the revelation, which is a weird, like a fever dream, right? What do we do with all that? Right square in the middle are the Psalms. And the Psalms are, like I said, it's Israel's prayer book. If you could peek into someone's intimate prayer journal, the thoughts that they think about God and the things that they say to God in their quiet, intimate moments with him, that's what we find in the Psalms. And so I believe that they can speak to and enter into your experience with God as well. So as we begin, we're going to begin in Psalm chapter 1. If you've got your scriptures, however you go, you can find that. And Psalm chapter 1 introduces us to the whole, the whole group, the whole book of Psalms together as a group is called the Psalter, okay? And so the Psalter begins, the lift of Psalms begins at a crossroads, okay? And this is important. As we enter into what's coming, we stand at a road, right? Robert Frost wrote, two roads diverged in the wood, and I took the one last traveled by, and that has made all the difference, right? And so here we come to a decision. We have a crossroads. We have a choice that we have to make. So I want you to imagine for a second, again, Imagine you're the prodigal son. Remember, we saw last week, we read about the prodigal son, right? And the prodigal son grew up in the house, grew up with dad, didn't really get dad, right? Dad had a lot. Dad was wealthy, but he grew up as a son, and he basically said, Dad, I want to go do my own thing. So he takes everything, and he goes, and he goes to a faraway land where he squanders everything, and within a short amount of time, he ends up feeding pigs, right? So here, and then he comes back home. So here we have the prodigal son. We have, he has seen the very bottom. He has the lowest of the low, and he has come back, and he has experienced redemption, and he has felt the embrace of Father, and he has seen restoration. He had the ring put on his fingers. He's experienced all that. So I imagine, want you to imagine now that you're the prodigal son, and you're 15 years down the road with your experience, because we've all had those experiences. We've had good times, and we've had bad times. We've had seasons of fruit, and we've had seasons of fruitlessness. And so I want you to imagine the prodigal son, and you're 15 years down the road, and you take a pen, it's a quiet morning, and you're sitting out on your back porch, right? It's finally fall, and you're on the back porch, and you write these words. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. So when I first came to this passage, and I first memorized this passage, it was the NIV, but it was the earlier translation, and said, blessed is he who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. So this is a meditation. This is in, in kind of broad categories of the poem. This is called a wisdom poem, right? It's a declaration of, of, of awareness and of understanding. 
And right from the beginning, he begins to set out this choice that we have, right? And he uses the word blessed. And the word blessed, like we under, uh, blessed is kind of like a, uh, like a churchy term, right? And we're not really sure what to do with it. Does it mean rich? Does it mean good things? Translation, the way that you use this, the way that it's used throughout scripture, it literally, it has implications of happiness. Happy. Happy is he. And so now he presents a choice, right? A, these are the two roads that diverge. Happy is he who does not do something, and happy is he who does do something. This is the choice that we make. When we read this, we can read this kind of just intellectually with our brains, but we have to see the implications. What he's talking about is a choice that we have to make, and he's talking about a behavioral pattern. Blessed is he who walks not, right? So this is what they don't do. The happy one is the person who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, who doesn't stand in the way that sinners take, who doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. So let's unpack that a little bit. What are those things, right? So it says, who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Let me ask you this question. When you have a big decision to make and you seek counsel, who do you go to? And let me get, dig a little deeper. Do you attribute the same weight to everybody's counsel. And let me dig a little deeper. Do you ascribe the same weight to the counsel of people as to the counsel of God? And there's a situation in which, on which God speaks. Do you listen to God's voice and go, okay, my question isn't, do I do this or do I not do this? My question is now, how do I do this best? Let's take the, let's take Marriage, for instance. Say your marriage is tough. Your marriage is in a bad place. I know that would never happen, right? Not, not you. It's funny, except it's not, because marriage is hard. Let's imagine, hypothetically, that you're in a tough place in your marriage. Communication isn't working. You, you've got cold shoulders at home and lonely nights at home. The kids are starting to recognize it, and you're wondering, can I do this? Do I want to do this? So now you're faced with a decision. What do I do about my marriage? The question is, to whom do you go for advice? Do you go to the people who just go, oh yeah, marriage is terrible, get out. Leave, Jack. Listen, you want to go by yourself and you want to go be your own man and go do your own thing? Yeah, forget about that split. And you're just like, wow, you make some really good points, right? Or do you go to the scripture? that talks about reconciliation, that talks about one flesh, that talks about people being united. In Malachi chapter five, God hates divorce. And you go, okay, so that's my baseline, God hates divorce, so now my question is, do I wanna do that or do I go the other way? And so you're asking your friends, you're like, oh yeah, you don't need to worry about that, forget about that, forget that, go, right? And you say, okay, well, so now if I know that God hates divorce and I've gotta figure it out, well, now what do I do? Well, in Ephesians chapter five, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You're like, well, I don't want to like that. Keep reading, right? Wives, respect your husbands. Submit to your husbands out of reverence for Christ. Wives, respect your husbands. And husband reads that and he's like, yeah, I need to show her that. Right, that, that'll fix everything, right? And right under that, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself. See, to walk in the counsel of the wicked is to live in this world as if God was just like one of us. Rather than to say, no, God is God. There is an authority of God. And so the question is, whose advice, whose counsel matters most? 
And this begins to set us down the road because as believers, as we were like, listen, there's a lot about this that we don't understand. There's a lot about this that we don't know, but there's a lot that we can look at and go, if I begin with what I can find and read here, then I'm going to keep walking down that road. So do we begin from a position that there is authority, that there is a God who sees and knows and who wants what's best life? Do I believe, because what the scripture says is, happy is the person who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. And what happens is, as we find people who say what we want, right, what do we do? We begin to hang out with them, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah, you just need to split, man. Get out, just leave her, just go do your own thing. You've got needs, man, and she can't fulfill them. You go do your own thing. Well, now you're lonely, so now you're hanging around with them, right? And what, is it, what does it say? We're standing in the way the sinners take. The picture is standing on the road. You got your click, right? It's the jets and the sharks, man, and we're doing the thing, right? Or sit in the seat of scoffers. See, what happens when people begin to take their own advice as authority, when people begin to live in the world as if what I say is truth, like I am the final arbiter on truth, like what, what happens is I be, you begin to make this sound a lot, right? You know, that's, that's the sound of scoffers, right? And that's the sound that people make when everybody else with a different opinion doesn't just have a different opinion, they have the wrong opinion, <laughs> whatever. And they don't just have the wrong opinion, they have a bad opinion. And they don't just have a bad opinion, they are bad. And what happens is, you begin by taking the counsel of other people, and then you begin walking with them in their way of life, and before long you become cynical and jaded to truth. And you just go, yeah, whatever, sure. Sure, marriage is dumb. Marriage is, marriage is outdated. We weren't created for that anyway. It didn't start there. It didn't begin there. But how we walk matters. And that's just one example, right? You could apply that to everything. You can apply that to finances, right? You want your finances to be blessed? Well, the scripture talks about generosity. The scripture talks about holding on loosely. And we get entrenched. And we go, that's dumb. You can't get rich by being generous. Well, the scripture doesn't say rich. The scripture says happy. Choose. You choose. Forgive, love, serve. See, the scripture begins to portray a way of life. You know what a way is, right? A way is like a road, right? You go like river road way, right? And you walk on it, and that's a path, and it leads, and it goes somewhere. Happy is he who does not walk on the way of people who lead away from God. Now he begins to get, picture a contrast, but his delight, not cold obedience, not not cynical about obedience, like, well, I'm obeying, but God hasn't done what I wanted him to yet. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, that word law, when this was written, their idea for the law was the Torah, right? Gen uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books. But scripturally, the, the, um, the law encompasses the whole thing. It's the whole picture. It is the law is God's way. It is what the scripture tells us about the way to live and walk and move with God. It is the, it, and it encompasses his moral law. Hey, the way of God is love. The way of God is not retaliation and retribution. The way of God is forgiveness. The way of God is submit to one another. When we say, husbands, love your wives, that's the way of God. When we say, wives, respect your husband, that's the way of God. When we say, live generous with people, that's the way of God. When we say, love foreigners and serve them and bring them in, and that is the way of God. And what it says is, the person that is happy, whose delight is in the way, is in the law of the Lord. And it says, and on his 
law, he meditates day and night. So meditation, before I came back to Jesus when I was in college, I didn't like the whole idea of a great accountability because I knew if there was a God, I was accountable to him, right? He was bigger than me and stronger than me. So I kind of tried to pretend for a little while. And so I spent a long time practicing like Eastern mysticism, right? Buddhism and Tao and all that. And meditation is a big part of that. Now I learned a lot from those seasons, right? Whatever. But there's a main difference between Eastern meditation and Western meditation. Eastern meditation is to empty yourself, right? If I'm just going to sit and I'm going to empty myself of desires. Neat thought. Here's the problem. Nature abhors a vacuum. This we know for sure. The idea of emptying yourself is to give up control over what ultimately fills you. When David is talking about meditating, what he's talking about is filling yourself with the way of the Lord. Filling yourself with the law. And the picture, the word for meditation is like the cud. Like you know a cow, right? A cow chews, and then he swallows it, and then it comes back up. So you read the way of the Lord, right, about forgiveness. And you sit in your time in the morning, and you're praying about it, and you're meditating on it about forgiveness, right? And then as it comes up, as you're reading that, your little kid, right, runs through and just destroys things, right? Sharpie all over the house, right? And your first response is, blah, I've got to be with Jesus, God, get out, right? And you're like, well, what were you we saying, right? And I'm going to discipline that kid to Jesus, right? And, and, and so as it comes up, you remember, we just talked about forgiveness. Do I need to forgive my kid for writing and sharpie on the wall? And then down the road, right at lunchtime, your husband does something thoughtless. And you get hurt and you get mad and you get angry. And again, here comes that teaching on forgiveness. How do I forgive? What, what do I need to do? And the portrayal is... Happy is the man and the woman whose delight is in the law of the Lord. As we begin to walk in God's way, the promise isn't that we're going to be rich. The promise isn't that nothing bad is everything. That, listen, I, I'm just, bad stuff is coming to you. Following Jesus, not following Jesus, that's not, that has nothing to do with it. What has to do with it is which way are you going to be on when the bad things come? Are you going to be on the way of Jesus or are you going to be on the other way? Happy is the one who follows the way of Jesus. Happy is not the one who walks isolated and separated and detached from God's way. Here's the idea. Happiness isn't found in bad company. Happiness is found in divine dependence. Do you want to be happy? live radically dependent on God. I want to walk, follow God like this, with one foot on his way and one foot on my way, right? How generous do I have to be to get God's blessing while still making sure that I have enough for me? How pure do I have to be in order for my marriage to not fall apart, but still impure enough to have fun when I want it? Wrong. Happy is the one who goes, all in, right here, let's go. And who finds his delight in this. But all over here are a bunch of people who are off the way, and they're going, hey, come hang out with us. Hey, listen, we found our way. Listen, we're single and loving it, baby. We don't spend our money on that stuff. We do what we want. And they're calling, and they're tempting. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, do not be yoked 
together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what do fellowship can light have with darkness? That gets talked about a lot in terms of marriage, right? Don't be married to unbelievers. That certainly makes it difficult. But here's the picture. A yoke is to be tied, right? To link, to link arms, right? To not be able to be separated. Well, here's the deal. First of all, this passage isn't, I got winded while I was jumping around like a fool there, right? <laughs> First, that passage is not about marriage, okay? It certainly has implications for marriage. But it's talking about relationships. Because here's the deal. My fundamental baseline belief as a believer, as a follower of Christ, I believe that there is a God who loves us and communicates to us. I believe that there is a God, not only that there is a God, but he has made his Holy Spirit resident in me. That wherever I go, I have access to the Holy Spirit and that that Holy Spirit will lead me and guide me. But I believe that the Holy Spirit will often lead me to walk by faith, to do things that don't seem on the surface of it to make sense. But through prayer, through counsel, through wisdom, through fasting, through all of these things, that it's possible for us to discern the will of the Holy Spirit. Person A, who is not a believer, not only do they not believe that there is a God, but they believe that the whole idea of a God is dumb. Certainly the idea of any religious-based morality. So then we come to a decision in our business. And Person A goes, man, we've got this big, huge decision to make. And I sit there as a person and I just go, well, I need to pray about this. What does the other person do? Well, that's dumb. We don't have time for you to pray. We don't have time for that, right? If we're yoked together with believers, right? If we're together, we can all together go, hey, we need to pray about this. Yes, it's way more important that we get God's wisdom on this than, than we, just know, that we just know what we're about. See, the way of following God is to be saturated and surrounded and overwhelmed by the way of God and to surround ourselves with people who point to that. The, and again, what it doesn't say is don't know anybody who's not a believer. No, listen, I, I love people who aren't followers of Jesus. They ask great questions and they challenge me and they make me think about things that otherwise I, I wouldn't. What we're saying is don't be yoked, right? Don't get tied in separately in major ordeals in your life. Don't get tied to them because I believe that we have a separate words. I believe that we are walking a different way. Do we understand? See where we're going? So, blessed is the one who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Verse three begins to describe not just happy. What does happiness look like? He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, and whatever they do prospers. You know, one of my favorite things in the world are if you go on the rivers and there are those cypress trees. You know what I mean? You've seen them, right? They're enormous. And I have some friends who have a house right on the Guadalupe River, and during the, the floods, it was at 98, the flood, the water was literally over the house, right? Like everything was gone. Not those trees. Those trees are 50, 60, 70, 80, 100 years old. And what the psalmist is saying is the person who walks in the way of God is like that. Now, it says they bear their fruit in season, right? Apple trees don't continuously bear fruit. They bear fruit for a little while, and then they stop bearing fruit. See, this is what when anybody says, well, I followed Jesus and nothing happened. It's not like I can jump on the road and Jesus suddenly dumps everything. The idea is it's a long obedience in the same direction. Just keep walking. 
People say, well, I tithed once and, and I didn't have as much money in that. I know. Build a system of generosity around with your life and just keep walking. People who tithe over time, for the long haul, they recognize and they acknowledge. Listen, I have a membership class where we talk about the tithe, and you can always tell who the tithers are. Do you know why? Because they don't shut up about it. Because they have seen the faithfulness of God in the deal. And sometimes it takes time. And does that mean that they're rich? No. Does that mean that they never struggle? Absolutely not. Listen, I got three kids. They're about to all be in braces. We're about to be eating hamburger helper, right? <laughs> Except it's like helper, right? Because sometimes we can't afford like the hamburger thing, right? Listen, <laughs> but that doesn't matter. Listen, sometimes the faithfulness of God is you're going to put your kids in braces and make it. See, the way of God doesn't promise that nothing bad is going to ever happen. If I, come, if, you ever, if I ever lose my mind and come tell you, just sow a 10% seed and you'll never like, listen, I've, I've lost my marbles, I'm off. It doesn't work that way. What he says, what the psalmist says is, he's like a tree who doesn't ever get uprooted, who's by the streams of water, and when the waters flow, they constantly nourish, and there's leaves when there's supposed to be leaves, and there's fruit when there's supposed to be fruit. In the 23rd Psalm, what does the psalmist say? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. The psalmist doesn't say, no more valley of the shadow of death for me. No, I reject that. I'm a child of the king. No more death for me. No, the psalmist says, I'm in this valley of the shadow of death, but I don't fear because I know I'm on a way that leads through the valley of the shadow of death. That's the promise of scripture. Life with God is abundantly fruitful in time. In time. And listen, you may be in a season right now where it's not your fruitful season. Listen, friend, fellow traveler, don't lose Heart. Listen to Psalm chapter 37, verse 4. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Listen, you may be on a stretch of road that seems all darkness right now. Don't lose hope. Don't get off the way. Because what does the other one have to promise you? Well, listen, here's what they say. Verse 4, not so the wicked. They are like chaff. The, the wind blows. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of righteous. There's a lot going on there. The chaff is, it's like paper almost. It's very light. It's the seed. You have a kernel of corn or a kernel of wheat or corn or whatever, and there's that papery kind of stuff on the outside. Well, do you know how they separate the wheat from the chaff? Literally, in any breeze, they throw it up, and the chaff just blows away. There's nothing to it. It is, you look at it and it's covering everything and it looks everywhere and we look around the world and we look at people and we just go, everybody's doing something else and I've just got to pray and wait. And it looks like, but listen, what scripture says is those people who are not rooted and grounded in the word, that are not rooted, that don't have something timeless and steadfast in their life, they are being blown away by the wind. And the way that it explains that, it talks in relational terms, right? It says they won't stand in the judgment. They won't be surrounded when they face up right? And what is judgment? I think the author here was talking about ultimate and final judgment, but there's a judgment that happens on a day-by-day -day basis, right? And what that says is, what does your life produce, right? When I stand in my way is spend on what I want, right? That's the, that's the prodigal son. Go and I'm going to buy what I want and I'm going to gamble and I'm going to buy all the booze I want and all the women I want. Judgment is coming. When the money runs out, do any of those things last? No. 
They're like chaff, blown away. But then it says, they don't stand in the assembly of the righteous. Listen, those who walk the path of God together, who say, listen, we're not perfect, we're badly broken, but we're deeply loved, and we're going to we're going to face purity the same way and we're going to talk about these things and we're going to hold each other accountable. When people start trying to walk out on their marriages, we're going to point to them and we're going to go, no, brother, respect your wife. Respect, love your wife. Love her. Whatever she does, that's irrespective. You don't, you're not off that easy. You love your wife. And then we go to the wife. We go, respect him. Treat him with respect. Get off him. Stop doing right, all that stuff. When we walk together, we walk in an assembly. Here's the thing. Over the last couple weeks, we talked a lot about gossip, right? Like people who are gossipers. Here's the thing that I know. I know this. If you will come to me and gossip about somebody, my friend Mickey's right here. Like If you will come to me and gossip about Mickey, here's what I know for sure. Sure, you will go to somebody else and gossip about me. And here's the problem. Someday, me and Mickey are going to talk. And we're going to find out that you talked about us. Listen, there's a method for resolving conflict. And it namely says, go tell them. Talk to them, not somebody else. And what happens is the person who doesn't walk that way, who doesn't acknowledge God's role for relationships finds themselves radically alone, blown here and there like chaffed, tossed around by the wind. When we get independent, and that's what this way is, right? It's independence from God. It's saying, I don't want to listen to God. I want to listen to myself. I want to listen to other people. When we live independently from God, we get isolated. And when we're alone, we are unstable. Basically, life is unmanageable by ourselves. We can't live and we can't walk that way. And the things that, the things that we do come back. Galatians chapter 6, 7 and 8. Do not, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. If you plant the seeds of walking in God's way, if you plant the seeds of faith, and of faithfulness, and of goodness, and of purity, and of reconciliation. If you say, we are one flesh, and we will not leave, I will honor you with my body, with my money, with my finances. With my... If we say, I will walk that way, God's not deceived. God can't be mocked. God will, in time, you will find fruit. And fruit may just be, you made it. You got it. You did it. This isn't a genie in the lamp kind of deal. This is God's way and God's desire is trustworthy. And the whole thing comes down to verse 6. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This isn't saying, what this doesn't say when it says it leads to destruction. This is just saying the westbound road leads west. The eastbound road leads east. All roads lead to the same place. Nice. That sounds like somebody who doesn't want accountability for their action. That sounds like somebody who wants to walk like this through life. Doesn't work that way. If you go west, you're going to head, you're going to hit California. If you go east, you're going to hit New York. What this doesn't say is that God chooses to punish and hate and destroy people who walk away from him. It says that there is a way that God's good and loving and kind sight lingers on. That's the way that God chooses. And there is a way that leads to destruction. Andy Stanley says this, you cannot gain or maintain the blessings of God by violating the principles of God. Do you want a healthy marriage? 
Love your wife. Do you want a healthy marriage? Respect your husband. You cannot control your husband into submission. You cannot ignore your wife into love. The principles of God stand. Are your finances always, listen, commit and say, listen, I'm going to give God his part and I'm going to organize my life around a set of principles and then watch and see what God does. The psalmist is telling us, he's encouraging us, there is a way of God that leads to fruit and stability. Okay? And it is found in God's law. The law is the way. Are you ready? Follow me. Psalm 1 talks about the way of God. Talks about the law of God. Talks about trees and fruit. Now, fast forward a few thousand years on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a 30-year-old rabbi named Jesus from Nazareth stands and he looks at his disciples and says, I am the way. I am the truth. And he stands in Matthew chapter five and he stands on a hill overlooking his disciples and he teaches them. He says, I haven't come to abolish the law. I have come to fulfill the law. You want to know where the law leads? The law leads to me. It leads through me. The psalmist says, you shall be like trees planted by streams of water that bear their fruit in season. And Jesus in John chapter 15, he's walking through a vineyard and he says, you're the vine. I, I, I'm the vine. You know who the tree is? I'm the tree. And he says, apart from me, you can't do anything. He says, it's to my father's glory that you bear fruit. You want to know how you bear fruit? You remain in me. You want to know who the tree is? The tree planted by, beside streams of water that bears fruit in season, whose leaf never withers. Everything he does prospers. You know who that is? Jesus. Everything Jesus does prospers. Listen, Jesus even died and that prospered. Jesus got on a cross and that prospered. See, I want Jesus to fix my finances without Jesus. I want Jesus to fix my marriage without his marriage. And Jesus says, I don't have a way. I am the way. And we get blown around in Paul in Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 15, we'll no longer be infants. He's talking about maturity. Notice the language, right? The chaff, remember, blown around. Then we won't be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, that's a relational principle. That's the way of God. We will in all things grow up. Grow up into what? The mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. The more mature we get, the more we look like him. The more we look like him, the more we are like that tree planted beside streams of water. And listen, the psalm leads us to that place. The psalms, when we speak the truth and love, the psalms teach us how to go to God and go, God, where are you? I'm tired of a fruitless season. God, why have you forsaken me? And then when this fruit comes, you can go, how great it is to be in the presence of the Lord. Listen, the only solution for an unmanageable life is Jesus. And the Psalms lead us to him. So what do you do this week? The first thing that you have to do is look at your life and admit where it is unmanageable. Listen, if I take my car and I drive it into a lake, hop the curve, dukes of hazard, I'm at a crucial moment Am I going to admit that my car is in a lake and I need to get out? Or am I just going to keep whistling? <whistles> Hope this works out. Going to keep revving the engine. You have to acknowledge and begin, where is your life unmanageable? Because what the scripture tells us is there is a way that leads to an unmanageable life. 
when I acknowledge and identify the way that is unmanageable, I can begin to change. That is called repentance. And say, I've got to quit hiding from my spouse and I've got to start telling my spouse the truth. I've got to quit being selfish in my marriage and I've got to start loving in my marriage. Acknowledge where you are. The second thing I want you to do is immerse yourself in the word. I want you to memorize Psalm chapter one. I can never do that. It's six verses. Take the rest of the day off. Start tomorrow. Memorize one verse a day. Blessed is he who walks not in the counsel of wicked or stands in the way that sinners take or sits in the seat of mockers. That's one. One verse. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on it he meditates day and night. Verse two. Now it's Tuesday. You're already in, Jack. You're already evaluating your relationships. You're doing all of these good things, right? Third, and this is most important, don't just know about God. Know him. Know Jesus. Know the person of Jesus. Stand before him and just go, I don't get it. Jesus, maybe I've never even believed in you before, but I know that the way that I'm going doesn't lead to fruit, and so I want something else. One more thing I want you to do. I want you to talk about this this week in your small group. I don't have a small group. Look, questions. You know what a small group is? It's a group that is small. So if you and two other people go get coffee, (gasps) hey, (laughs) ask these questions to each other and tell each other the truth. And then next week, do it again. And then next week, do it again. Our connections pastor, Nick Fox, is going to be outside. He's the bald-headed guy because that's, yeah, yeah. Throw a rock in this room and you're going to find bald-headed guys that fit that description, right? <laughs> Nick is our connections pastor. We'll probably be out there with an iPad and just tell him, take your connection card and say, hey, I need to find a small group and we'll do our best to get, to get you connected. But if you can find this week, just ask a couple of people to go with you and begin to talk about this. What does one and two look like? What does it mean? What in my life is bearing fruit? Jesus, I ask that you would make us fruitful people. And I acknowledge too many times I take your counsel last or even second. And if I'm honest, I'm looking for someone who's going to tell me what I want to hear. But Jesus, you're the way that leads to happiness. You're the way that leads to prosperity. You're the way that leads to deep roots There's one thing we know living in New Braunfels. Floods are coming. Jesus, in our life, there's going to be rain. And it's going to threaten to wash everything away. Let us be like those trees. And I pray for everybody in here whose marriage is on the rocks. And I pray that they would begin to seek out your counsel and your clarity and your wisdom. I pray for everybody in here whose finances are just a shambles. I pray that you would give them grace and I pray that they would begin to align their principles with you. I pray for people who have only loneliness and seem to be in long, extended seasons of fruitlessness and I pray, Jesus, that you would give them fruit in season but not without walking in the way. So Jesus, draw us to yourself. For those maybe today who for the first time want to trust you, they want to follow you, they want to get off the other road, or they want to get on 
your road. I pray that they would have that moment of awareness. And I pray today they would say, Jesus, I want you to lead me differently. I pray that they would just ask. And your word says you'll give them your spirit to lead us and guide us. So Jesus, that's what we ask. And we pray, Jesus, that everything we say and do would bring you honor and glory. And I pray that we as a church, as a specific local congregation in New Braunfels, as River City Church, I pray that we would be people of the way who walk according to you. And Jesus, we ask these things in your name and for your glory. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift his countenance and give you peace. Have a great week. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us today. River City Church is all about experiencing and expressing God's love in our lives and community. And we hope that you've been able to experience that today. As grateful as I am that you've spent this time listening in this morning, this podcast is no substitute for full participation in a local church. I love it when River City people listen to other pastors, but it is those who show up week after week, faithfully giving their support and time and resources that make all of this possible. If we can help you get connected to a local church, pray for you, or support you in any way, click the link in the description and let us know. If you'd like to financially support the ministry of River City, click the Give link on our website in the description. Don't forget to subscribe, and don't forget to share this with your friends. Thanks so much for listening. May the Lord bless and keep you in all grace and peace.